Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke yesterday and talked a little bit about the Oakland A's. I'll read a couple of quotes from him. He said, there is really significant activity in Oakland. The political process has moved along significantly. I met with Mayor Schaff last week. She has done a really good job at moving the process forward in Oakland. So some positive statements about Oakland. He did also say about the A's and Tampa that they have to get their stadium situations resolved. But he also gave this quote. I think the A's prudently have continued to pursue the Las Vegas alternative. We like Las Vegas as a market. What do you make of Rob Manfred's comments yesterday? I think he wants to come because he wants public money. <laughs> <laughs> or free land or whoever they're going to make this deal. I mean, I, I think he, I think if it's up to Manfred they, and he can get a beautiful new ballpark in Las Vegas, he'd want them to move. Um, despite me meeting with Mayor Schaaf, there's so much going on up there politically on what they're going to take away and what they're not. Um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the next big meeting is in two weeks, uh, I want to yeah, say. July, I believe they have one. Yeah, I want to say it's in a few weeks, so we'll have, we'll have to see what happens there. But I, I think Manfred sees the Raiders, sees the Knights, sees potentially the NBA, and uh, wouldn't mind at all. Now, it's a smaller market. But I don't think he'd mind at all if they moved to Vegas. Well, you're optimistic about us now. No, what I'm not optimistic. About, no, no, I'm not optimistic that they're coming. I'm just asking, I'm just answering your question of what Ma, Rab Manfred oh. wants. So I think what he basically did yesterday was this: this was the commissioner telling Bully because he did similar things with the Tampa Bay Rays here, but telling people in Oakland, yeah, things are going well, but we're not there yet. Like we like the direction we're headed. But, and this is the key, and this is what Dave Cobble's been doing too, but Las Vegas exists. We like Las Vegas. We could go to Las Vegas. I think it's just the same playbook we've seen where they're trying to stay in Oakland, but they want public money to do so, and they're going to continue to dangle Las Vegas over Oakland's head as a threat of, okay, if you don't give us what mm -hmm. we want, we're, we've got somewhere else to go, even though nobody's here has offered them public money either. So well, I don't know that they really have somewhere to go yet. There's a way. I hear there's a way. What was the quote? There's a way oh, they can do it. Yeah, there was, it was, was it Steve Hill that yep. gave it from yep. the LVCVA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a, I, although he didn't, he wouldn't give any specifics as to what it would be. It was just, ah, we can find money for him somewhere. I don't care about him. Next question. We also had this story on the Oakland days uh, from the New York post. Apparently, the A's are being criticized by other owners for not spending money on players. They got $9 million in revenue sharing uh, for the last time MLB paid out revenue sharing. They're going to get $20 million the next time. But there was this quote from an anonymous owner. The idea of revenue sharing is not to make money. It's to field a competitive team. That money is supposed to go toward player salaries. The A's took the money and put it in their pocket. This is why I keep hearing, and I, I'll, I mean, I, one, I think they're going to probably stay in the Bay Area, but if they don't, two, uh, the insinuation that if they come, there'd be more revenue and that they'd spend more on players, I'll believe that when I see John Fisher spend anything on players and not do some of these fire sales that he's been doing. I don't, I just, I'm serious. I don't, I don't know if one equals, you know, one plus one equals two in this whole situation of, oh, we're going to come and magically... We're going to change how we've done things for so long. Now, again, they were successful in doing it, and then what they do, they just dumped everybody. Um, so I'll, I'll wait and see 
in terms of if he if they come that all of a sudden they're going to be spending money like everyone like you know all the big markets around because they want good players because they have more revenue here. They uh, won 86 games last season. Didn't make the playoffs, but a, a good, a decent number, right? That's not an atrocious team. Won 86 games, and in 2020, they actually won the AL West in the shortened season. But won 86 games, got $9 million in revenue sharing, and decided, you know what? We have zero interest in paying Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, or any of our pitchers that might be above average. We're going to trade all of them because we can't. we cannot even fathom paying them even though, hey, we just got $9 million for free, mm -hmm. there's zero reason to think that's going to change when they come here. No. They could have spent money on players this year. That, that could have happened. They're not going to suddenly be like, oh, well, yeah, we'll spend money now. They, they could be doing it right now if they wanted. They could have been doing it for the last two decades if they wanted to, but they don't because they know like a lot of teams, and this is the big complaint from the players when we had the lockout, a lot of teams know, well... We don't have to put a good team on the field. We'll still make money, and they, we don't need to spend two hundred million on payroll. We can spend fifty million on payroll and be fine. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> a report from Jake Fisher: Two weeks before free agency begins, James Harden is expected to re-sign with Philadelphia on a shorter-term deal. Is James Harden ever going to be good again? I don't know if he's ever going to be good again. Um, and I don't know if if he's not going to be any good again. Like you said, often you need a big two or big three to win it all. Is he good enough to be that second one to Embiid if he continues to play like he has? I'm not sure. I, I Excuse me. I'm not surprised he's going to resign. I'm not sure who else would have wanted to sign him. I assume somebody would want to sign him. I just don't know that anybody would be willing to give him big money. Uh, because what we've seen from Harden for what, what are we going on two years now, maybe three years, he has not been a legitimate big two or big three level player to win a title. And you look at Philly now with Joel Embiid, who is um, getting to the end of his prime already. Like Joel Embiid's in his late twenties. Joel Embiid's not going to be a top five player in the NBA for many more years. Uh, I don't think they're getting anywhere close to a title with Embiid and Harden as their big no. two. Shorter term deal. What's the, uh, that's probably a Philly request, right? I would guess I mean, so. I would imagine. I, would, I mean, this Harden point, wants Harden as much as he can get. Right. I'd imagine if they were offering him a long term deal, he'd be signing it. But right. uh, yeah, I, I would guess that is a Philadelphia situation where they say, yeah, I mean, we'll keep you around. It'll be for a couple of years. He has, I believe, is a player option for this season, so he could just opt in for one more year. So I'm guessing this is like a. They're, they'll ignore the player option, but sign him to a two-year deal or something like that. So he's there for a couple more seasons. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I just got off the <laughs> Sue Bird is retiring after this season. This will be her 21st season in the WNBA. Uh, she is the career leader in the WNBA in games played, minutes played, and assist. Has four WNBA titles, five-time Olympic gold medalist. Uh, one of the most decorated basketball players of our time and she is going to be hanging up 21 seasons is a really long time 21 seasons five sport. gold medals like yeah. we was talking to my son last night how impressive is that five gold medals that that to me was more impressive than the WNBA I, I don't know why yes. but I was like man that well, is a long a long Olympic uh commitment to make you know in your life even even though we are 
pretty dominant at women's basketball, right? Like, even though it's, oh, yeah, of course they win the gold medal. The impressive part is being good enough to make the Olympics five times, make the Olympic roster five times. Like, that's the impressive part of that, where it's every four years, so you're basically spanning that out over two decades of you being one of the, whatever, 12 or 13, however many they take, 12 or 13 best players at this sport over five different Olympic years. It's it's an incredible accomplishment just to be in the Olympics five times. I think, if I'm not correct, because I covered him in London and Beijing, I think Durant's going for, would go for four. Do you think he'll play next time? It's only a couple years in Paris. I mean, I, and he did play for Kerr. I don't know how that, how that relationship is, but uh, I'd love to know if he's going to play again. Because if, if you're, if you're winning four, I'd have to go back and look and see how many men have won four gold medals. I mean, we, we've talked about it. I apparently care more about the Olympics than most people because if it was me, I'd be playing on the Olympics as much as I possibly could. Um, I don't know what Kevin Durant's priority is. It might simply be to prove that he can win without Steph Curry. That might end up being his priority. But I, if I was him, yeah, I would, I'd be playing in the Olympics as long as I possibly could. As long as they'd keep having me back, I'd be like, yep, let's go. Yep. This is, is going to be what I want to do, win as many gold medals as possible. Oh, Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. The host cities for the 2026 World Cup were announced yesterday. It's going to be a joint uh, host between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. Um, Las Vegas is not one of the host cities. We uh, backed out a long time ago. You know why, Ed? Because we, we got bait and switched by the Raiders. Well, that and... I, I saw several people yesterday saying it was the best venue around. I don't know if I believe that. Is that is that you've been in there for major soccer matches? W- would it have sufficed? Um, I mean, it, it could have worked. It sucks for soccer. It's not. Yeah, a good I, venue I don't think soccer. people who were crying on on Twitter yesterday about it knew, knew a lot of the story. One, like you just said, one. The important thing is we backed out anyway. Yeah, and that that's where. So first off, on the venue for soccer, the the. Allegiant Stadium, where they can put the field, is very narrow, which mm-hmm. means the field barely fits. And, like, if you sit in the front, in the first sections, unless you're on, like, the front three or four rows, you can't actually see all of the field. Like, you can't see down the sideline or whatever, which is brutal. And then it's just not overall a great venue for soccer. It would have been fine. But the other part of this is that, like, we backed out because, like, a year ago, maybe more than that, it's basically like, oh, FIFA has all these demands and we're not going to make as much money on it. But we got bait and switched because when they were promoting this stadium saying, hey, please give us $750 million, David Beckham came and told us we were getting the World Cup. And now we're not getting the World Cup because the Raiders found out, oh, we're not going to make enough money off of this, so we're out. Next question. Wisconsin men's and women's basketball will play a doubleheader at Brewers Park. Women are going to play Stanford. Men are going to play Kansas State. Ed, I bring this up only to ask you, do you remember when San Diego State played San Diego at Petco? Yes, I also remember in San Diego State, I played Michigan State. I think it was Michigan State. No, it was Syracuse. It was Syracuse on aircraft carrier because I think San Diego State against the zone made one of 76 shots because <laughs> the wind was blowing a certain way that day. So I do remember the Petco Park game and the aircraft, the aircraft carrier outside was maybe the best thing you could ever do against the Syracuse zone. That was a real smart decision by them to play that. Jim Beheim's trying to get yes. all of his games on an aircraft. Oh, my God. Play that zone and just say, yeah, go ahead and shoot. Go ahead. The wind's blowing. Uh, Which way is the wind blowing? I believe uh, Matt Norlander uh, tweeted out the other day that somebody is trying to get another aircraft carrier game. Oh, 
They're trying to do it again. I mean, indoors, okay. I think I'm almost certain San Diego State was outdoors against Syracuse. I, yeah, because the whole joke yeah. was about the wind. They they play them in those indoor carriers, which is fine. I mean, you know, you, you you're in you're inside, but outside, just a complete disaster. <laughs> outside college basketball is not a good thing. No, I would not advise anybody to do that. It's not a, a good idea. But uh, we're gonna have more outside games. It's it's gonna be great. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball because we've got a good chunk of their schedule that's been reported. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, some UNLV basketball news in the middle of June. Uh, John Rostein reporting yesterday that UNLV is going to host Dayton in November. Uh, Dayton probably sounds better than it is. You know they haven't made the NCAA tournament since 2017. That is uh, surprising. Yeah, now they were... Similar to like San Diego State, they would have been like a one or a two seed in the COVID year. Mm-hmm. So saying they haven't been since 2017 is technically accurate, but they have had an NCAA tournament level team and it was a really good one. They were like 29 and two or something that year. So Dayton, basically, they've been top 100 at Ken Palm for four straight seasons, but haven't been in the NCAA tournament. So it's a good team, but not maybe as good as. Dayton sounds like I think that's a name that carries a lot of weight uh, as far as mid-majors go and they just haven't actually been an NCAA tournament team it probably ends up as a quadrant two game now we know about half of the non-conference schedule for UNLV now and here's what we got they are going to host Incarnate Word they're going to host Dayton they're going to go to the SoCal Challenge in San Juan Capistrano (laughs) They'll play Southern Illinois there. They will play then either Minnesota or Cal Baptist. The only road game that we know of is at San Diego. Oh, Lavin going into Lav's house. Oh, I forgot he's there. And the daughter's college. I'll have Uh to tell her to go to that game. Uh, They will host San Francisco, and then they will also play High Point, but uh, don't know a date on the game against High Point. Uh, That's seven games. That means they have six more they can schedule, which means there are six spots to change my opinion on this. But that schedule sucks. Four, five. You know how I like to do this, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is that seven games? Yes. Five and two. Ah, they better be five and two <laughs> against that. So that schedule. And again, they got six spots to fill to change my mind on this. There are three god-awful teams on that schedule. High Point was 242 in Ken Palm last year. San Diego was 261 in Ken Palm last year. Incarnate Word was 353. They're one of the five worst teams in college basketball. There are two good teams on that schedule, Dayton and San Francisco. The problem, though, neither one of those is likely going to be a quad one game because they're both at home. And Dayton and San Francisco probably aren't going to be top 25 teams this year. San Francisco was uh, top 30 last year, so close. But most likely, those are not going to be quad one games. Those are going to be decent quad two games. They're going to play Southern Illinois in that SoCal Challenge. They're like 120th in Ken Palm last year, so they might move up or down some. That's a decent team. That's not going to kill you or hurt you. The other game they get in that SoCal Challenge, if it's Minnesota, that could be a decent game. If it's Cal Baptist, Cal Baptist also sucks. So if they end up playing Cal Baptist, that's another bad team on the schedule. 
They have six spots left. As of right now, they do not have a single game on the schedule that's going to be a quad one game. And if UNLV is going to make a legitimate run at the NCAA tournament, they're going to need to play some quad one games. Right. And right. they don't have one at the moment. So this schedule is absolutely terrible for the seven games that we know. Now you're holding out that they have six to fill. Uh, should I hold out? I feel like yeah, we I mean, know the bigger name ones sooner than you know, oh, Incarnate Word. That's true. They usually drop uh, UCLA, people like that, that they're going to play. Um, the uh, the uh, tournament last year at uh, T-Mobile um, where they got Michigan. Um, yeah, you, you're right about that. They, it's not it's not good right now. I mean, and I and I don't know who San Francisco lost, but it's at home, so that's not going to be as as if it was on the road and they bring everyone back. Um, it's it's not good. You're exactly right. Why? I, well, let me ask you this in terms of um, because we do this with football a lot in terms of non-conference and football. So, how many in your estimation, if it's thirteen, what would your kind of perfect schedule be? with the quad ones and the quad twos? Like, what what is a good enough schedule that puts you in line for an at-large but doesn't either tax your team and just get you killed or, like, this one so far is like, okay, you're not playing anybody? Like, what's a good balance, quad one, quad two, to put you in position? So I would start on the low end. Like, how many bad teams should you play? I think that number can be around three or four. And they've got three or four on the schedule. So if they're if they're done scheduling bad teams then this schedule might end up a lot better than I'm complaining about right now. But I would say you, you have three or four games against teams that are just atrocious because it's nice to win games and you don't need to, like you said, tax your players for all of your non-conference games. So it's fine to have three or four bad teams on the schedule. But I think if you're UNLV, you need to balance that out with three teams that are quad one or at least really close to quad one three teams that are no doubt about it top 50 teams in the country and right now Dayton is not a no doubt about it top 50 team San Francisco might be top 50 but they're not no doubt about it top 50 team so maybe they have one top 50 team on their schedule they need at least two more and then the rest everything in between I would want them all to be quad two games I would want That's them all saying, to be quad teams. twos Right, all teams that are between like 50 and maybe 125 at the low end. I would hate to play teams that are like 190th, right, or 210th, because those are teams that you're not going to get the, the credit for playing a quad two. They're not going to be very good Ken Palm-wise, but you can lose to the 190th team in college basketball. And so those are the games I would avoid. And so far, they've done a pretty good job of avoiding that. Southern Illinois might fit into that, but that's what I would avoid is that level, but they just need more on the high end here. They need more of those top 50-level teams to have any sort of legitimate shot at an NCAA tournament resume. Otherwise, they're going to be Wyoming of last year, who, granted, got in, but they went undefeated against their nine. Right, exactly. Or, or whatever it exactly. was, 12-1. and one. Because Wyoming didn't play Mexico anybody. Mexico has done that a lot in the past. Right, and like that that is one way to do it. If UNLV doesn't schedule great teams, but they go 13-0 and in their non-conference and they blow out a bunch of teams, then it'll be fine. Your schedule doesn't matter if you just blow everybody out, but it's very unlikely to go 12 and one, 13 and 0 in your non-conference. Right. It's just not realistic. And so you need to have quality teams to help your resume. And right now I just, I just don't think they have it. I mean, if we find out that UCLA or Arizona or uh, Kansas or a Texas or something like if we find out a couple of those teams are on the schedule, then schedule's probably going to be great. Good to go. But as of right now, 
I, I think this is a bad schedule. How many, how about in terms of uh, another tournament? Can they play another tournament? I think they can only play one, right? Yeah, and th- and that is probably my biggest complaint about this SoCal Challenge and San Juan Capistrano. UNLV can get into good uh, non-conference tournaments with yes, good teams. Exactly. And oh, that with is one call. Right, and that is normally where UNLV plays really good teams in the non-conference. Yes, they they do schedule games against like a UCLA, and right, they can get those too. But they normally will get really good games in these non-conference tournaments. This year, none of the three teams that they could play were top 100 in Ken Palm last season. Now, that could change and somebody could be much better, but they're not getting a quad one game from their non-conference tournament, which is a disappointment because they should be getting one every single year when they play in, in uh, the non-conference. So that is, I think a big disappointment that that's the tournament that they're playing in and that they're not going to actually get a legitimately, a legitimate good quad game. one win right? or, or opportunity. I'm not saying they right. win it. So it's not bad. Like those aren't games that'll Cal Baptist maybe, but like Southern Illinois and Minnesota aren't going to really hurt the schedule a whole lot because they'll be around top 100, if not maybe a little bit better. But they're not going to. We're not looking back saying, oh, okay, what they did against Southern Illinois is the reason that they're got in the NCAA tournament, right? And that I think is the problem here. So we'll see. I don't. I mean, I guess it matches my expectation that this team actually isn't NCAA tournament level based on the roster right now, and the schedule matches that at the moment, but. I am always hoping that UNLV schedules really difficult in non-conference because they have the ability to do so, unlike Wyoming, and it would give them a better chance. UNLV can pretty much, I would imagine, get anyone they want. Yeah, especially if they dangle, hey, come play in T-Mobile. Right, exactly. You do a home-and-home with some Big 12, you know, know, Baylor, can't something like that, but you can come and play in T-Mobile. You don't have to go to Thomas and Mac. I don't know how you can't get that. Yeah, and... Maybe they don't want that as much. I mean, I, I can understand the logic behind we don't want to play at T-Mobile a whole lot, but I I would think you could do But to get one of those teams? Yeah. But, and again, I'll make the same point I started with. Six spots left. They can still change their right. mind. I, it's still, there's still plenty of spots left where they can have Baylor could be here, and we could say, oh, well, it's a pretty good schedule. Coming up next, what? Jameson Welch joins the show. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Jameson Welsh. You can follow him on Twitter at djameson with two E's in the uh, good morning. Jameson is last night the cap of the most impressive thing Steph Curry's done in his career. No, 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 no. It's it's up there, but it's not uh, coming back from those ankle injuries to be you know two time MVP and start of a legendary run. I think it's the most impressive thing because a lot of times those injuries become a cautionary story you know we get grant hill penny hardaway you know this goes on and on um but he overcame that to be you know become this and i think that's probably his most impressive situation but in terms of the season um this is up there because of the the team they have you look at the roster not a great roster it's good it's, it has some pieces to it but it's not like an all-time great team or all-time great roster that's definitely not the case. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is their second-best player. And up to this season, people had a lot of concerns about Andrew Wiggins. So, yeah, it's definitely an impressive feat, but most impressive, not so much. It's so subjective, you know, as well as anyone these lists. But if I said the sentence, Steph Curry ends his career as a top what player of all time? He's in the top ten now. Um, for being his size, for what he's done for the game, what he's done for the Warriors, um, he he's had the same 
he's had a very similar impact that Magic had in his era. Not saying one's better than the other or whatever it may be, but just the the impact on the game and on the teams themselves that each have had. I would say he's the Magic of his era because the way the game is played, the impact, um, just obviously the valuation of the teams, everything. Like Steph is basically, you think of the Warriors, you think of Steph. You think of the Lakers, you think of Magic, and that to me is the is the thing that is very hard to come by. As great as other guys may be, is you know, there's a lot of other great players in that top ten type of list. A lot of guys that have those kind of qualifications. Man, certain guys are just synonymous with the team and what they've done, what they've done for the game. And I I think that he's in that particular category. And I don't think he's as good as Magic. But I think he is, you know, the magic of this air, which is very high praise. Do you think there's going to be, well, maybe it's happening now, but at least at the end of his career, people that look back and like are hesitant to put him top 10 or maybe top five at the end of the day because of his physical stature, that he's not the overpowering LeBron James or Michael Jordan type athlete. So he might be the smallest guy in the top 10. You look at it and you think of the guys in the top 10, most of, most of the guys are big guys or taller than six, six. If you think about the you know the top ten list, I mean Kobe and Mike are probably the smallest guy. Everybody else is bigs or or wings. So it's you know I think his size helps him more than it hurts him. Uh, and also his story isn't over. Now I don't think they're going to repeat or anything like that. And repeating will be tough, just like it is for any team, just because there's a lot of challenges, there's injuries, there's you know contract stuff. There's always stuff. Like it's never just a a smooth ride. However. Um, his story's not over. Like they still have at least another one in there if things break right. You know, just based off of the roster and the situations and whatnot. Like people got to stay healthy and guys got to improve. But there's another one in there if if things go their way. So with all that being said, it's one of those situations where he winds up with five, and the conversation's way way different. Um, but no, he's definitely you can make a case that he is if he's not the face of the generation. He's definitely one of the faces, and that's huge to say because in 2011, 2012, you would have got laughed at if you just said 10 years later Steph Curry would be the face of basketball, one of the faces. You would have got laughed at, and 10 years later, he's proved a lot of people wrong. In this realm, where do you rank Steve Kerr? Not a lot of is, is talked about that. It's all Steph Curry and all that. But where he came in, we know what Mark Jackson did with that team. Uh, different teams I get and different guys throughout the years. But what he was able to do quickly, where does Steve Kerr rank? Steve Kerr's up there. I mean, he's a top 15 coach of all time and probably close to the top 10 now. I mean, winning four rings is up there. Like That doesn't, that doesn't happen every day. And being, being able to manage egos. I mean, even though Steph is a – mild manner superstar. He still has an ego. We know what Draymond is. You know, we know how difficult that can be. They had Kevin Durant for a couple of years, uh, for a few years, and we saw how that worked out. So being able to manage a lot of characters and egos is just as important as the X's and O's part, especially in the NBA, because in the NBA, the players make so much more than the coach. If there's a disagreement or if there's any issues, the coach is gone. So being able to have normal conversation, being able to have dialogue with guys on a regular basis is huge. And getting them to buy in to what you're selling is huge. And he's been able to do that with different rosters in different situations. And I think he should get more credit for that. Now he, he has had some talented rosters. That's for sure. You cannot doubt that. But this roster here, 
he actually had the coach. I mean, he made us uh, swap in the middle of this series to start Otto Porter and bring Looney off the bench. Also, he played Jordan Poole more in the second half of the series, which is probably one of the reasons why they won it. So there's some coaches coaching adjustments he has made, not only in this series, but remember in the first one they won it, he started Andre Godala. We was going into game four when they were down 2-1 in the series. Things like that basically make or break your career. And it worked out, you know, eight years ago, and it worked out or seven years ago, and it worked out again this series. So those are things as coaches that we, we always talk about, can they adjust? Can coaches adjust? Can they adjust on the fly? Well, he proved he can, and here we are. Do you have an explanation for how the Celtics can be a legitimate title contender and have some great postseason games, but have so many against the Bucks, against the Heat, and against the Warriors, so many games where they just look atrocious and can't even hold onto the ball half the time? Because their main playmaker, who is Marcus Smart, is erratic. Uh, there's games where Marcus Smart looks like an all-star. There's other games where he's throwing the ball away and picking up careless fouls, and he looks like a different guy. Um, now, Jason Tatum needs to play better and needs to play more under control. There's times where Jason Tatum is the biggest guy on the court and plays like the smallest guy, and that's never good. With all that being said, they, Boston needs a playmaking guard that can get guys in their spots so that Brown and Tatum can just concentrate on scoring instead of having to create and score. If we saw when they had to create and score, things got difficult versus really good teams. Um, Tatum's going to have to make some adjustments in his game. He's too big and he's too skillful to struggle scoring in the painted area. That just cannot happen. He's playing a little bit soft in the series, and that's not good for a guy that's as good as he is. But Marcus Smart, if he's going to be your point guard, he has to play differently because he's too erratic as a player, both skill set wise and emotionally, to be the guy with the ball in his hands the most. And if that's going to continue, they're going to have issues in the future. Are they the favorite in the East next year, or do you think Milwaukee's ahead of them? So the East is now the most dominant conference until further notice. The East is the East. Like, the East is back. Um, Milwaukee has something to say. I think Miami makes a move or two and gets right back there again. Um, you have Chicago that's talking about getting Gobert, which would be an improvement. So you have some teams that are making some things happen. I didn't even mention Philly or Brooklyn because who knows what's going to happen with those two teams. But you have a lot of teams out east that are a move or two away from being right there, which is huge because the east has been a laughing stock for a long time. But the east is back. So I wouldn't say the Celtics are a guarantee. But here's what I'm going to say. Whenever a young team goes to the finals, especially a young team that actually shows some promise in the finals, everyone says it's a guarantee that they get back. Remember 10 years ago, OKC was in a similar situation where they had you know a final, they lost to the Heat in five, but most of the games were competitive. There's no guarantee anyone gets back. There's none. Injuries happen, contract stuff happens, things happen. So we'll definitely see, but the East is no joke, and I expect Milwaukee to be better also. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Boston has a couple moves they got to make, but I think it'll be very fascinating what happens out East going forward. Let me ask you this real quick then, because the odds came out last night, and you know they always put the favorite usually as the favorite, or the, excuse me, the champion is the favorite the next year. Was interested, in, and we made the point earlier that it all hinges on Kawhi, that the Clippers were second in that. I heard Barkley and a couple others, as they signed out for the season, he actually said, I think the Clippers will win it next year. It's all hinging on those two guys being healthy. Are they going to be that good? They're never healthy. 
Like, yeah. how how can we how can we <laughs> say that they're the favorites or they're one of the favorites when they're they never stay healthy? Paul George, unfortunately, has not been healthy since he's had that situation at Thomas and Mack eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Not he's always been banged up in some way, shape, or form. Kawhi Leonard, as great as he is when he plays, he has missed two full seasons. Like guys just are not healthy. Like it just doesn't work that way. Now, if they are able to stay healthy and relatively healthy for a season, then they have action. But the guys they have to rely on to get through the West, they don't stay healthy. It's just how it is. It's not not trying to be funny or a knock on them, but they. I mean, Paul George missed half the season this past year. Right. You know, so it's just it, I gotta see it before we start making them the favorites. I mean, are they better than Phoenix? I don't think so. And we got you know, we got to see it. And I don't know. But that being said, Golden State's one. And then we got to see. I think Denver is a team to watch out for. Denver fully healthy is a team to watch out for. Well, he is Jamison Welch. Again, follow him on Twitter at the Jamison. Jamison, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jamison. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. So there is Jamison Welch on the NBA. And uh, yeah, the Clippers, not healthy ever. Uh, would be fun if they were, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, finally, finally, see how good they can be. Um, he's right, though; they're not; they're just not healthy enough to like completely count them. He mentioned Denver. Denver could be a really fun team if all those guys are healthy. Yeah, I mean, you you basically had Nikola Jokic playing at an unbelievable level, and they didn't have probably their second and third best players right. this year healthy. So, yes, Denver could be a legitimate problem if they are healthy next year. To it. It's, I mean, we complained about it during the postseason, but it happened in the regular season too. Like, if we could have like relative health across the league where not every team is losing an all star, right. there's a lot of teams that could win the NBA title next year. Like, that list is probably pretty long if things go well. There's, there's 10 teams, maybe more, that could actually yeah. do it. So, give us some healthy seasons and postseasons, and it could be yeah. a lot of fun. All right. We've got tickets to give away. If you want to go, See the Las Vegas Aces. Uh, they play the Chicago Sky on June 21st. We have a four-pack of tickets in the fan zone. Thanks to West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen of Henderson. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You'll win four tickets in the fan zone to Aces and Sky on June 21st. 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number six at 702-364-1100. They're going to get this podcast. Ain't nobody complain. All playoffs have a couple bad games. Stop doing the podcast. It ain't stopping. Y'all going to get this podcast. They're going to get it all summer and next year, too. It's here. It is what it is. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Did Draymond Green do a podcast last night? It was either last, yeah, it had to have been last night, and that was right after uh, the game that he put that out. So, Draymond Green won an NBA title and immediately went and did a podcast? <laughs> I, he must have, unless he did it yesterday before the game. I Well, he talks, I, I haven't listened, but I'm under the impression he, yeah, I, he would talk about the NBA, the game they actually won there. I'm just like... Good, I guess good for him, content creator out here. But man, I think if I won an NBA title, I would not be worried about my podcast in the in the three hours after I won it. I'd be like, yeah, they can wait. The I best can... thing, the best uh, pitch I saw last night, I, you might have seen this. Did you see Bob Myers on the floor with no shoes on? No, I didn't. 
So Bob Myers is on the floor with Steve Kerr. It looks like Kerr is downing a bottle of champagne. And this is way after everything, after their media bills and everything. Bob Myers is wearing a T-shirt, like a, I think a, like a long sleeve shirt, just a pair of shorts, like beach shorts, and no shoes, and drinking from a glass of wine. I mean, I, I don't know if you can get better than that. And he's like, so kinda, he was, he, he was completely changed out of his suit. Completely, completely. He was in like beach shorts, um, like he was head of the beach. Um, a, I think like a long sleeve shirt, unless it was one of the championship shirts. I don't think so. Kerr was wearing a championship T-shirt. And then it, it appeared that Bob had a glass of wine in his hand, which is just absolutely, especially for the Bay Area and, and the Warriors, it's just so, it's a it's a great shot. And Kerr, I think, was just downing a bottle. I mean, he was just downing something. <laughs> Does it suck winning a championship on the road? Probably, but, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they I think they played into that stuff. Draymond and the crowd and, you know, uh, petty Steph Curry afterwards saying a bunch of stuff and, um, you know, the sleep, the sleep pitcher. I mean, he, he calls himself Petty Steph Curry, King Petty. Um, so maybe, maybe not. I mean, they, put it this way. I don't know if it sucks winning on the road, but they certainly looked like they were having a good time celebrating. So I don't think they cared really where they were. I mean, before, I found... before game six, Clay said that he's never been more excited to go to Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I found a video. Bob Myers actually joined the NBA TV postgame show without shoes, in shorts, and like a towel draped around his T-shirt. <laughs> That's classic, though. That's great. Yeah, and you are right. That's it great. looks like he just walked in off the beach yeah. and is celebrating an NBA championship. That's great. They have close, the NBA TV had close-ups of his bare feet while he is on the postgame Wouldn't show. you rather that than just keeping the suit and the dress shoes and stuff? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, oh, yeah, great. no doubt about it. I mean, listen, if I had the ability if and I was in that position, I would not wear a suit. I mean, I... Part of the reason I like my job is I can wear whatever I want. I don't ever have to put on a suit to come do the radio. That'd be ridiculous. But I would be in non-suits as much as possible. Right. Ridiculous over here. This is great. He's got a he's got a gold chalice, by the way. Is, is that what it was? Out of. Yeah, I don't know what's in it, but it's just a gold wine glass, basically, that he's drinking out of. So Bobby pretty much was confident they might get this done. He appeared he brought a lot of stuff to uh, celebrate <laughs> it. The ready. chalice. He's ready to look like he's off the beach. Um. Yeah, he, he was pretty confident going into the game. It appears like he, he brought a change of clothes uh, for the celebration. Yeah, it's pretty smart. Uh, um, who? Okay, who has to? Here's a question I've always had about championships: Who has to put in the order for the ski goggles when they do the champagne and beer celebrations in the locker room? Maybe the equipment manager, because I I've got to imagine. That's a pretty bizarre shipment for just a random NBA or MLB or NFL team to make. Where it's like, oh yeah, well, we need ski goggles for everybody. Everybody in the organization needs a pair of ski goggles because everybody's always wearing them. Because why wouldn't you? Otherwise, your eyes are going to burn. I just always find it funny that's like, like teams that are nowhere near any sort of ski mountains or anything are like, yeah, we need 300 pairs of ski goggles delivered. Maybe the equipment manager. Maybe since the NBA delivers the champagne, they also deliver them along with them. Is there has has there not been an official like sponsorship? Have any of these of the champagne? The, oh, that's a great question. The, the official I don't know ski why, uh, goggles or something. There's not like a bank number on the on the side of the goggles or a bank a bank name or someone like that. A wings a wings store. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the actual beer they're drinking is sponsored or something yes. like that. <laughs> they uh. I'm trying to think of championships celebrations 
that have been the best in the past. Well, which one? Oh, I'm sorry. You're saying the time. Uh, <laughs> he was telling you there's one. I think left. Kucherov. I think Kucherov. Uh, I remember it was, was at hilarious. the parade. It was at the parade, but when Ovechkin drank a beer through his jersey and was completely wasted, or like the Capitals were pretty excellent. Just that, uh, no, that was, that was, that was TJ Oji. Oh, it was Oshie. Okay, I'll get the right capital eventually. Uh, Thank you, Ovechkin did the keg stand and drank through. Um, I believe he drank out of the Stanley Cup doing a keg well, stand. He, we watched him leave T-Mobile Arena that night. Uh, we were just off deadline. We had just filed. He walked out through the entrance of T-Mobile Arena, players' entrance, carrying the cup. This guy was blitzed. I mean, <laughs> already? It, yeah, already. He was completely blitzed already. He was headed to the bus. He was covering the. He was carrying the cup, and he was just blitzed out of his mind. It was a beautiful sight.